morning, everyone. Welcome to Central. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads that have actually decided to come inside on a day where it feels more like a Florida summer than a, a northern summer, but glad you're spending uh, time with us today. Our psalm today is Psalm 78, Psalm 78. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. I believe that's page 531 on the Bible, in, on, on the page of the Bibles in our uh, in our sanctuary, and uh, we're going to read from 581, and uh, we're going to read from verses 1 through 4 in a message I've entitled, Passed Over, Now What? Passed Over, Now What? This is Psalm 78, and uh, we will begin reading at verse 1. This is what the psalmist says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I want you to notice firstly then that this is a psalm that actually is an interpretation. This isn't God speaking. This is the psalmist speaking to God's people. And what he is saying is, look, listen to me. There's certain things that I I need you to, to hold on to. And then he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. He's not going to talk about things that they don't know. This isn't a new revelation, a new mystery. What he's going to do is he's going to interpret history. And he's going to look back on history and he's going to say, look, people, if we want God's blessing moving forward, in our homes, in our families, on our nation, we need to learn the lessons of the past. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you some truths today, he's saying, and these truths are gonna be challenging, there's not gonna be anything new. I'm gonna tell you, and then he goes on, those things that our fathers have told us. And then he's gonna go on and right now, and he's gonna talk about the responsibility that fathers have. There's a sense in which the psalmist really believed that the role that fathers played has a vital, vital aspect to do with the safety, not only of the family unit, but of the nation itself. This is what the father was called to do, not to hide these truths from their children but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. This was the responsibility of fathering back then. Tell the goodness of God to your children and to the next generation. So this is the challenge that the psalmist is given is giving to the people, the fathers that are hearing this psalm being read. And this is the challenge that I want to give, obviously, to fathers today, but to our entire church. Now, verse 3 is really, really challenging to me. Those things that our fathers have told us. As a child, my father did not tell me the glorious deeds of the Lord. My father was an absent father. I grew up in a home where my mother had the responsibility to be both my mother and my father. We realize at Central that increasingly we are having more and more single parent families that are entering into the church. I grew up in a single parent family where my mom was both mom and dad. So when I read things like this, those things that 
my father should have told me. It makes me realize that firstly, some of you are here today and you're rejoicing because you've got your kids with you. Some of my children are not here with me, but as I went up into the pulpit earlier on this morning, I'm getting texts and I'm really thankful that I kind of muted my conversations, otherwise the whole thing would have come alive up here. I'm thankful that it makes me rejoice that I've got children and my children say, hey dad, thanks. Uh, There are many of you who are like that, but I'm also mindful of the fact that some of you coming in here where your reality isn't like that. Maybe this is the first Father's Day that you're celebrating without your father. Or maybe you grew up in a home just like me where your father was completely absent. This isn't a good day, only a good day. This is also a difficult day because now you find yourself having to wrestle with your past and to somehow to interpret it. I grew up in a home where my father was absent and Father's Day wasn't a day that I got to celebrate as a kid because my father was never there. I remember the first time I saw my dad was as a young elementary age student, and he took me to his first wife's home. My mother was wife number two. At that stage, I believe he was on wife number three, and by the time he died, he had been married five times, and the woman he was with, he was unfaithful to on his deathbed. She discovered it, and instead of going to mourn him, I actually had to go in and try and sort out a relational conflict. Welcome to my upbringing, Father's Day. The reality for me, you see, is my father never pursued me. He never had an interest in a relationship with me. And it was as I became a Christian that God spoke into my heart so clearly and said, Craig, I want you to pursue him, even though he will not pursue you. I was essentially passed over by my father. That's my father's day growing up. And now I find myself in these Father's Days rejoicing on the one side that God has given me the privilege of being a father, but on the other side, I'm mindful that there is a lot of pain associated with that because I was passed over. Now, some of you are here, and you'll never be able to identify with my story. You can't do that. But you do know what it's like to be passed over. Maybe you've been passed over from recently for promotion at work. Maybe at work, another idea was taken instead of yours. Your idea was just passed over. Uh, Maybe you've been passed over by the person that you wanted to date and they chose your friend rather than you. Maybe you never got invited to that wedding and you felt you should have been. Maybe you always have to be the one to initiate time with your friends and they find it so, so easy to do stuff without inviting you. Passed over. See, while you can't necessarily relate to what it's like for a child to be passed over by their father, all of us have some kind of idea what it feels like to be passed over. It's a difficult emotion. It exposes us to the the, kind of questions, profound questions of life, of why, and, and these are emotions that we have to grapple with, and it's very difficult to do. Craig, why why are you saying all of this? And and what's it got to do with Psalm 78? Psalm 78 begins with the psalmist giving a challenge to fathers and to this, this present generation to look back at their past and deal with the profound realities that caused them to be where they were right now. And where they were right now was essentially a pretty strange place. See, Psalm 78 is written 
In all likelihood by a a southern kingdom psalmist, in other words, it was written after the fall of the northern kingdom. Let me back up for you, for those of you who may be new to the Bible. The, The Bible starts with, obviously, Adam and Eve, and then you get Abraham, and God's calling Abraham to, to make Abraham a, a vehicle of blessing for the entire world, and so the history goes on, and God, people find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and then God raises up Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. They get into the promised land. Moses dies, and Joshua starts to lead God's people, and slowly the nation begins to form. The people look around them, they see every other nation is being led by kings, and they say, we want a king for ourselves, and so Saul is the first king of God's people. But Saul doesn't act in a, in a faithful way, and so God passes over Saul, and Samuel has Jesse's sons light up in front of him. Some of them were tall, some of them were handsome, some of them were muscular. Samuel goes through the line and thinks, it has to be this guy, it has to be this guy, and he gets to, gets to the end, and that isn't the guy that God has chosen. Samuel looks at Jesse and says, is this all you got? And he said, no, I've got one more. He's in the fields. And and Samuel says, bring him. And David walks in and Samuel says, uh, Samuel hears from God, that's the guy. That's the one I've chosen. But we get to David because Samuel recognizes that Saul has been passed over. He's been passed over because he's unfaithful. If you have a look at the end of Psalm 78, Psalm 78 ends with God with God reminding through the psalmist, the southern kingdom of Judah, that David is the one that God chose. David is the one that God chose. And so David rules, so the kingdom expands. David gives his his kingdom over to Solomon. Solomon is supposed to be the wisest king that has ever lived, and yet in reality, he was the most foolish when it came to his own private lives. How many men are like that? Brilliant in work, but when it comes to their family, it's chaos. Solomon dies, and now there is a schism because Solomon's son, who has now inherited the throne and the kingdom, says, my father worked you hard, but I will work you 10 times as hard. And so there's this civil war. 10 tribes become the northern kingdom of Israel. They have all the land. They have nearly all the resources. They have a massive army. Everything looks great for this northern kingdom. Two tribes form the southern kingdom. They had a few square miles of hilly, unfertile country. No more than 600,000 people in the first temple era. And everybody looked at this situation and said, God was going to bless the northern kingdom because they had more. More money, more people, more resources. But there's one thing they didn't have. They didn't have hearts after God. And so the king of the northern kingdom essentially developed a new spiritual center because they didn't have Jerusalem, and he started to introduce worship that wasn't faithful to God himself. And so this is what the psalmist says. Moreover, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. Now, Ephraim here, if you look at the prophetic book of uh, Hosea, is the the term that is given for the the nation of Israel. When I was growing up, my mother used to say, say to me, Craig, why don't you go and vacuum your room? But she wouldn't say that. She would say, why don't you go and hoover your room? 
right? Hoover, Hoover, Polaroid, Kodak, right? You, you sometimes get these kind of terms that mean something else. Ephraim is a term that refers to the nation of Israel, okay? The northern kingdom of Israel. God did not choose the northern kingdom of Israel. We know he did. He chose them from the very beginning. But what is happening here in this psalm is the psalmist is saying, look, because of the people's repeated unfaithfulness, God did for Israel what he once did for Saul. Because it's David he chose. Because it's Judah that he chose. And so this psalm is written in a context that basically tells us that when God heard them, when he saw what was happening, he was furious and he rejected Israel completely. Now please, I'm talking about the Old Testament before the southern kingdom's exile. I'm not talking about Revelation and Romans 11, okay? If you're here and you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, good for you, okay? If you're here and you know what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about New Testament eschatology, the doctrine of the future. I'm talking about what is happening in the psalm. This psalmist is writing in the present when the northern kingdom has been rejected, has been passed over. They were once favored. They were once blessed. They were once tight. They were once so incredibly powerful and significant. But now God has rejected them. And this rejection of Israel resulted in God raising up the kingdom of Assyria. And Assyria came in, conquered the land, took about 27,000 Israelites, northern kingdom people, and basically escorted them into the Assyrian Empire and scattered them throughout the Assyrian Empire. Commentators talk about the 10 lost tribes because there is no real record of a mass movement back into the northern kingdom in the way that there is with the southern kingdom. And so this psalm is written as the northern kingdom has fallen, and now the psalmist realizes the responsibility that he has to help God's people in the southern kingdom learn the lessons from their past to ensure that what has happened to Israel never happens to them. That's the context. Now, if you're a student of Old Testament history, you'll know it does happen to them. Many years later, the southern kingdom of Judah would also be lifted up, carted into exile through the empire of Babylon. Now, Babylon and Assyria were two different empires, and their deportation strategy was different. The Assyrian kingdom basically took the northern tribes and basically scattered them throughout the Assyrian empire. Babylon didn't do that. Babylon actually believed that the best way to do this was to uproot the people and to keep the Jews all in one place. If you keep them all in one place, you can preserve the culture, but, and you can show that you're actually in favor of their, their identity and their culture, and it'll go a lot better for you. And so the, when the southern kingdom were exported, okay, or deported, they went to Babylon, they all lived in one place. And Jeremiah 29 tells them what they need to do. What the southern kingdom needed to do was they needed to build homes, they needed to get married, they needed to have kids. They needed to seek the blessing of Babylon because in seeking the blessing of Babylon, it would go well with them. Some of you have graduated from high school, right, or you graduate from college and you get this card that basically says, Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to bless you, to prosper you, not to harm you. That is actually given to that southern kingdom as they're in exile in Babylon. 
Now, what we know from history is that the southern kingdom moved back. They come back with Ezra. They come back with Nehemiah. But you don't see that with the northern kingdom. It's a completely different history. And what the psalmist is doing is basically saying, guys, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And in the psalm, there are many, many examples given of why God passes over people. And on this Father's Day, I want to challenge dads, I want to challenge men, but I want to challenge all of us not to live in such a way that the anointing of the Spirit that is given to us for a task is removed from us and given to someone else. The psalm ends with a statement, but he has chosen David, who comes from Judah. The message is clear. If we don't want to be passed over, if we want our families to work well, if we want our relationships to work well, if we want our church to assume the role in this community that it needs to, then we need to learn the lessons of the past and there are a number of things that we need to avoid. Now, what we see here in 56 through 58 is why God passed over them. They put God to the test. They rebelled against the Most High. They didn't keep His statutes like their ancestors. They were disloyal. They were faithful, uh, faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered Him with their high places. They aroused His jealousy with their idols. See, there were certain types of behavior that they put into practice that meant that God said, that's it. I've warned you enough. Now I'm taking the anointing of my spirit off you, and I am basically going to pass over you, and I'm going to place it onto Judah. That's a hard word, isn't it? I believe that God still does that. I believe that God calls people and anoints people for a task, and if we're not faithful to that task, God reserves the right to take the anointing of his spirit on a person on a pastor, on a church, and give it to another person, another pastor, and another church. If we won't do what God wants us to do, God will give the task to someone else. He's done it throughout history. Israel, he rejected completely. So what do we need to learn from this? I think there are four things that I think we need to learn from this. Firstly, we need to recognize that we get passed over when we ignore our blind spots. We get passed over when we ignore our blind spots. When you read this psalm, you will see that over and over again, God's people were unfaithful. They didn't worship him with integrity. And so over and over again, God raises up prophets to challenge their unfaithfulness. He leads them into circumstances where he miraculously miraculously delivers them, provides for them, blesses them. And yet over and over again, they they revert to their covenant unfaithfulness. They've got a blind spot, and they just don't see it. God passes over people when they ignore their blind spots. And despite everything they've heard, every warning they've ever received, despite the blessings that God has given them, in spite of their unfaithfulness, they persist in this pattern of unfaithfulness through their blindness until it comes to the point where God said to Israel, that's it, I'm done. Blind spots. A couple of years ago, I, 
I took uh, Jonas to his, get his driving test, his driving license or whatever he said, you know, it's that test you do. And I can't, I don't know the difference between permit and license over here, but anyway, uh, so he could drive on his own. And this was the first of the children I'd gone with. Usually Vibka would go. And uh, Jonas was gonna drive the pilot. And so we went in there and uh, Americans are sadistic. I mean, in Europe, when you do a license like this, test like this, the parent isn't allowed in the car. In America, you sit in the back seat. So I plonked myself right in the middle to see everything that he was doing. So we get, we get in the car and uh, we start driving. And uh, the first thing, you know, it's over on 8th Street down, downtown. First thing you do, you go across the parking lot, right? And they park the car and then the instructor looks at me and says, hey, why don't you get, uh, Mr. Reed, could you get out of the car, please? And we went and stood off to the side. And Jonas was told that he was gonna have to kind of perpendicular park and parallel park, right? So I stood off to the side and I'm standing there. The instructor's by the side of me and I'm like, this is awkward. I mean, am I supposed to talk to the guy? Am I supposed to be this kind of extrovert guy? Am I supposed to stand there? So I didn't know what to do, but actually he helped me out because uh, he started laughing spontaneously. And I thought, well, he can't be that bad. He hasn't moved yet. <laughs> and, he, and the guy said, he's just moved the mirror a little bit, but that's just a joke. And I said, what do you mean? He said, your car has got a reverse camera in there. He's not gonna use his mirrors. He's gonna use technology. He said, before you know it, he said, I'll have people in here that will actually be pushing a button and the car will park themselves, right? And have you got that on your car? Technology. Technology helps us see things more clearly than we otherwise would in our own. Now, how many of you have got a blind spot detection system on your car? Any of you got that? Oh, come on. Must be more of you than that. Yeah. I've got one too. Now, I first had it on my Subaru, moved up north, thought, what does everybody drive up here? Subaru, you know, good for winter. And, and I had it, and that, that was pretty cool. But now I've got a Jeep, and that Jeep frightens me when it does some of this stuff. Because the part of this system is lane detection, okay? So you're driving along, and when I don't indicate to move, it assumes that I'm drifting, and it steers me back into the middle. <laughs> Seriously, if I don't put an indicator on, it'll drive me back to the middle. So a couple of times, I've... I'd kind of take my hands off, nobody else was around, and I thought, what would it do if I don't touch the wheel? It says, put your hands back on the wheel, basically. <laughs> Seriously. Technology, it helps, you, it helps you drive. One of the things it's also got is this blind spot monitoring system. What it'll do is, if I was driving along, and I'm not looking where I'm going, like the lady who hit me the other week, right? The car beeps loudly eight times, and then it'll break. It recognizes that sometimes we need help to see. It's also got this thing called blind spot monitoring system so that when I'm driving along, on the mirrors there will come a yellow little triangle, either on the right mirror or on the left mirror, that actually tells me, hey, something's entering your, the vicinity of your vehicle that you can't see but you need to be aware of this thing. You put the, on this, you put it in reverse, and it's actually got a rear blind spot monitoring system. And this is amazing to me that somehow the sensors are able to pick up, when I'm pulling out of a parking lot, you know, backwards, it's able to pick up those cars, okay, that are down the track, and it will again beep on a certain side of my, of my screen, of my kind of screen in the car, telling me which direction it's coming from. What's the point here? Technology is trying to help us stay safe by making us aware of those things we need to see, but so often don't. 
Now, when I was hit the other week, the woman had a Lincoln, it had the system on. She obviously turned the thing off. Why do you turn off? Why do you switch out those things that are supposed to help you stay safe? The answer is, spiritually speaking, we do it over and over and over again, don't we? We do it over and over again when we refuse to listen to the blind spot monitoring system that God has placed in the heart of every person who follows Jesus Christ. The first blind spot monitoring system we have is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And with the Word and the Spirit, the Spirit takes the will of God and the Word of God and reveals it to us. Yet we ignore it. We switch it off. The second way that God's people were doing this is they ignored the warnings of the people that God had raised and placed around them. The prophets, the leaders, and for us it's our family members. We ignore our blind spots because it's really, really hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's really hard to listen to the critique of those persons whose faults you know better than anyone else, right? We can block it out. God's people, Israel, were passed over because they ignored their blind spot. They had this built-in blind spot detection system, and they just switched it off and tuned it out. Many of us do the same thing. Let me ask you, what do you do when someone points out your blind spot? Vivka and I have been married 25 years this year, and uh, it, honestly, it, it, sometimes Vivka and I joke and say it's really a miracle that this Welsh boy and this German lass actually made it this long. We were so messed up when we were married, it was unbelievable. It was as if we could have a conversation every single day about our blind spots, and honestly, my default reaction was, uh, it was not too good. It was not too good. It's an emotional thing. One of the key things to realize when you deal with a blind spot is you have to manage your emotions. You have to manage your emotions. When someone points out a blind spot to you, if you're not careful and you don't manage your emotions, you react inappropriately. That's what God's people did. Jesus himself said, woe to you. Woe to you, Israel. Woe to you, Jerusalem. You who stone the prophets and killed them. The very people that God raises up to point out blind spots are the very people, if we do not manage our emotions, that we react the most strongly against. A number of years ago, I was called to be a lead pastor of a church, and, and I, I went into the church. I'd been there a, a couple of weeks, and I was in a meeting in the conference room, left the conference room, went into, the, uh, into my office, and no word of a lie, I, I see one of the pastors on my staff sitting behind my desk, Oh, wooden credenza, the thing must have weighed about six tons. Leaning back on my leather seat with his feet on my desk, using my private phone. I'd been there long, and I thought, I don't think that you do that in Europe, and I'm pretty sure that's also inappropriate in America too. And so I looked at the guy and I said, you have two minutes to finish this conversation and get out of my office. I walked out of there, I was, I, was a little, I was a little mad. And I walked into one of the executive pastor's office and I said, okay, you won't believe what just happened. This is what I saw. And the pastor looked at me and said, well, that's not a surprise to us. This guy wanted the lead pastor position but was 
overlooked, was passed over because there are weaknesses in his character and that is exactly what they saw. The only one who cannot see it is him. The guy was on our staff for about three months after that and then he left. And the chair of the search committee that brought me in came up to me and said, Craig, I want you to know this. I want you to know that you should not be anxious or worried because the most emotionally volatile pastor on your staff has left. There are things he needs to learn, and this, in this next season of life, God will give him the opportunity to learn it. See, he was annoyed at being passed over for a position, and that resulting emotion was channeled in inappropriate behavior against the one that he construed to be the source of his problem. But I wasn't the source of his problem. The problem were the lessons that he needed to learn on the inside. And I'm thankful that as time progressed, we were able to converse about a number of those things. And God did indeed reveal those blind spots to him. Listen, God loves each and every one of us too much to allow our blind spots to go unchallenged and undetected. God has placed a blind spot monitoring system in your life. It's called the Word of God. He's given you the Spirit of God if you're a follower of Jesus, and He's also given you the people of God, your family. So guys, but all of us, let's make sure that we do not put ourselves in a position to be passed over for a task that God has called us because we are unwilling to listen to hard truths about who we are and who we need to become. Blind spots. The second reason the psalm tells us that the people were overlooked, passed over, is because there was an unresolved past. Over and over again, the psalm says that God raised up the prophets, did incredible works, presented the, the reality of who he was to his people, and yet over and over and over again, God's people ignored what was being said and didn't deal with their past. This is how the psalmist puts it. Again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed, that word means pained, wounded the Holy One of Israel. They wounded him. In the New Testament, we, we are told that at the moment we become followers of Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then there are some commands given to a life with God through the Holy Spirit. Two of them are positive. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, walk by means of the Spirit. We can't walk by means of the Spirit unless we've been filled. Two of them are negative. We're told not to do two things. We're told not to quench the Holy Spirit with whom you have been sealed. To quench means to silence. We're also told not to grieve Him. To grieve is the same kind of idea. It's to cause Him pain. It's to wound Him. When we wound or grieve the Holy Spirit because of things that we've done, things that we are doing. God in his love and his mercy comes to us again and again and again. And our responsibility in that moment is to deal with those things, to resolve them. Because if we don't, we grieve him. If we grieve him, we quench him. If we quench him, we do not give him the ability to master us, which is to be filled. That's what being filled means, to be mastered by the Holy Spirit. And if we are not mastered by the Holy Spirit, we cannot walk by means of the Holy Spirit. It all comes back to these issues of how's my relationship with God? Is God saying things to me that I need to deal with? Guys, is God saying things to you that you need to deal with as you lead your family? Church is God saying things to us as, as he calls us to minister in the world. We have to listen to these things because if we don't, we grieve 
the Spirit of God with whom, by whom, we have been sealed. And see, there comes a point in time when if we continue to ignore this, we kind of find ourselves alone, all on our own. I'm a soccer fan and the World Cup's coming, which will probably be agony for my wife for the next month, even though I have to say it's what, six games Germany are playing right now. I take it they're winning because Germany always do. Sorry if you're Mexican, but that may well be the way that is. But um, soccer for the next month, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love it. I haven't seen any game yet. But what's interesting is a couple of, what, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was the Champions League final between Real Madrid and uh, Liverpool. And the talk going into this game was actually about the Liverpool goalkeeper, who is a German, by the way, uh, because during the season, he'd actually made a lot of mistakes. And people were saying, would it come down to goalkeeper error or not? Well, guess what? In the game, it did. That goalkeeper made two terrible mistakes, awful mistakes. And at the end of the game, he, the camera showed him sitting at the end of the game with his team having lost because of his mistakes, crying, and here's the point, no one came to him. He was completely left alone. Not one single member of his team actually came over and put their arms around him. The first person to do it was a football commentator who used to play for Liverpool, he was the only person who did. And so you can imagine, the British media, they're brutal. They wanted to know why a team would leave someone in despair so alone. And the answer, they were sick to death of him not learning his lesson. I still think that's pretty harsh. But this is what the psalm is saying. Over and over and over again, God comes, reveals his broken heart to his people. And they just ignore it. And it's in that moment God says, I'm done with you. I don't believe that in our own life that means that the Holy Spirit leaves us. It just means that the Holy Spirit is quenched. Quenched. He's like, you know what? I've got so much more for you. So much more for you. But we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with this before we move on. And I wonder how many of our marriages, how many of our family lives are actually stuck because we're not dealing with it. And, and you see, the longer we don't deal with something, the bigger the wall gets, the bigger the separation gets, and it will be built until such a point in time where you cannot see or hear what is being said. Paul calls this that our conscience becomes desensitized to the point where he can even die. Church, if we don't want to be passed over, listen, don't ignore your blind spots. But at the same time, if there's a past, if there's a past that needs to be re- resolved, don't ignore it. Because we grieve God and we alienate ourselves from the very people that God wants to use us to bless and to be blessed by. Thirdly, we have to recognize they're passed over because of hidden agendas. Hidden agendas. In this psalm, God says, you know what, you, you, you kind of prayed to me with your mouths. I think that's verse 8. He says in verse 18, you even asked me to nourish you with food, and I did. But the reality is your heart was just so far from me. You wanted me for what you could get. You didn't want me for who I am. They were passed over because their worship wasn't real. It didn't come from their heart. It didn't involve their whole heart. And God says, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to allow you to go into a season of hardship in order for you to be able to discern 
who I truly am. Hidden agendas. How many people do you know at work that have been passed over from promotion because your boss didn't believe that they were in it for the right reasons? They were in it for themselves. How many people do you know who've missed out on a relationship because somebody looks at them and says, you know what, I really like this person, but I'm not gonna enter into this because this is just, this is not about me, this is just about them. It's their fancy, it's their thing. See, when there's a hidden agenda, the law of the Spirit basically says, discerning people sense it and spot it. There's something not quite right here. And in the same way, God says, you know what, my people, something isn't quite right here. So he passes them over. Lastly, they ignored key stakeholders. Throughout this psalm, God says, look, over and over again, I revealed that you had a blind spot. You were more interested in, in a relationship with me for what you could get than for who I was. You kind of didn't deal with the, with the pain that you caused me, which showed to me that you had an agenda for worshiping me that was totally wrong. And all of that comes back to the fact that you're ignoring who I really am. How many people do you know who have been passed over because they're ignoring those things that are really important, those people that are really important? Again, it happens in work. Somebody who's so driven by results that they don't care who they trample on or stamp, a stamp on in order to get the, get the paycheck at the end. That's what God's people were doing. And God says, you know what? Enough's enough. The time had come. As you look at this, you get the feel for the psalm. This is a psalm written by the southern kingdom that basically says, look, we've got to try and interpret our past in order to make sure that we don't make the mistakes of the present. The, the northern kingdom is gone. It is fallen. And, and here, the psalmist says, is why Israel has passed over because they had blind spots they wouldn't acknowledge, past they wouldn't confess, agendas they wouldn't lay down, and people they were too quick to ignore. And he says, Judah, let, let's not make the same mistake. So what? One of the, the blessings of a psalm is when you really dig into it, this ancient story has a very modern application. It, it tells us as God's people, look, be careful about what's going on on the inside of your heart when you worship God. Don't ignore your blind spots. Don't ignore those things that you need to deal with. Always check your motives. Try and realign your values with God's. Don't ignore the key people that God has placed in your life. Dads, don't be so driven by work that you think being a good dad means about provision only. It's about presence too. But what happens if you're in here today and you do know what your blind spot is? That you do have issues in your marriages, in your relationships that you need to deal with and you haven't. What about the fact that you're wondering whether you're really in any kind of relationship for the right reason. This psalm ends, doesn't it, by saying, sorry, Israel, good night and goodbye. So is that it? This is where when you read a psalm, you need to recognize that a psalm is usually a specific snapshot of a specific moment in time. Sometimes we need to take a step back and realize, okay, what do the rest of the scriptures say? This is what I love about the Bible. When you take a step back, you realize that the southern kingdom did something that I believe, if we're on the other side 
of someone's blind spot, if we're on the other side of someone's past, that their actions that are harming us, I think we can do an awful lot of good by putting into practice in our lives what Judah put into practice in theirs. This is what we read in 2 Chronicles 30. Hezekiah is a king after Israel had fallen. The exile has happened in the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is still there. Look at what we read he did. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah. Remember, he's the southern kingdom king. He's the king of Judah. But who is he writing to? Israel. And he also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, two of the northern tribes. They were the stubborn tribes. So this king has seen the northern kingdom fall. The people are reinterpreting the history of the past in the sense that God has passed over Israel and rejected Judah. So what happens in the southern kingdom is rather than going na 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 na, God raises up a leader who writes to them, and what does he do? Invites them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. See what he does? He's actually encouraging the people of Judah to be the type of people that are quicker to forgive than they are to cast off. He's saying, look, sometimes people act in ways and the consequence of their way is That's it. But that doesn't mean to say that God abandoned them, that God's people abandoned them. What happened was the people of Judah actually opened up their homes, they opened up their borders, they opened up their temple, and they wrote letters and they said, look, we know what you've done. We know how far you've sunk. But come on home. We see this over and over again in in, uh, the southern kingdom's history. It's really interesting. After the split, we're told the Rehoboam had 180,000 troops. Just a few years later, the number of troops were 400,000 troops. Everybody's saying that's just simply not possible through biological reproduction in this short space of time. How did this happen? Commentators are convinced how it happened. The southern kingdom basically had an open border policy. No politics involved here, please. Talking northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Open, open border policy where they would just open their arms and their hearts to those people who realized they needed to come home to God. And as a result of that, God blessed them. God blessed them because they were generous with grace. God blessed them because they were quick to show mercy. God blessed them because rather than pointing the finger at the northern kingdom, they recognized that they had fallen and that they were shaped in sin as well. And so Judah had a policy where they would just basically welcome those people that had sunk so low back home and invite them to faith. What happens as a result is this. 2 Chronicles 30, 26. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, the son of, king, of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the psalm. It's basically saying, look, our history is filled with us making a mess of so many of the blessings of God. And yeah, we acknowledge that that meant that God passed us over, but I'm thankful that that season of being passed over led to an invitation to come on home. And church, that's the way it is today. So if you're here and you have got a blind spot, that there are issues in your life that you need to deal with, you know what God is saying to you today? He's saying to you, come on home. He's saying to you, listen to me. He's saying to you, look through my Holy Spirit. I'm speaking that word to you in your heart right now, and I want you to listen. If you're on the other side of this and you've been hurt over and over and over again, God is saying to you, look, put into practice in your life what the people of Judah put into practice in theirs. Make it a habit to be quick to forgive and allow God to deal with the person who's wronged you in his way.
what I want to do right now is give us an opportunity just to respond in the way that God is telling us to respond. Our team are going to sing a song. It talks about the work of the Father, the work of Jesus, the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. And through it all, we're commanded to listen. Listen. God builds homes on the basis of those who discern what he's saying to the church, to the family. God builds nations the same way. He builds churches the same way. Listen. So as this song is being sung, just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and put into practice your life, in your life those things that will keep your family strong and the church strong. Let's pray before they sing. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. I don't think there's a person in this room who can say that there aren't things that we need to deal with. Some of us are in this room and we should have dealt with things a long time ago and we just haven't. And now what we see is just a wall that has been built that separates us not simply from you, but the people we love. It's not as intimate as we want it to be. But God, in all of this, we just thank you for your grace. It's a grace that says to us, it doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how far we've gone down. It doesn't matter what we've done. Come on home. So Father, as we listen to these words, won't you just send your Holy Spirit to help us listen to you and to live as the people that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have been saved to be.